Mark chapter 14, let's begin in verse 32. Then they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young men laid hold of him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself with the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made with hands. Not, not, but not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them. You are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the preeminence of your word, what, how you place it in our lives, Lord, to be a compass, something that directs us the right direction, something that speaks life to us because your words are spirit and they are life. Lord, we thank you, God, that you lead us through your word into all truth and you 
shape us and mold us and make us into disciples in part by the teaching of Your Word. So we ask, Lord, that Your Spirit would be our teacher this morning. We're not interested in man's opinion. We're not interested in anything that's temporary or temporal. We're interested in Your eternal Word, which You said, Jesus, would outlive the heavens and the earth. So we yield our hearts to You now. Speak to our hearts. Your servants are listening. We desire to not just be hearers, but doers of Your Word. And so we ask, Lord, for Your Holy Spirit to reveal all the things that He wants to reveal to us. We commit it to You in faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus is just about to be arrested here. He's just enjoyed what's called the Last Supper with His disciples, instituting the new covenant in His blood. And He has been pouring out, been pouring out all the way to the end, being who He is. He's a good God. He's a compassionate and loving God. As we saw, he was trying to reach out to those disciples, or those Pharisees rather. Those are kind of interchangeably sometimes. But the Pharisees, reaching out to the Pharisees, trying to reach them, warn them, all of those things, confronting them and all of that. And and then he's had them go up to this, this upper room and build a share and change the whole Passover meal, transform it into the Lord's table. And, and communion and so forth. And so now he's, after that, they went out to pray into this garden, and we're going to see that uh, in other things this morning. But what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus betrayed, and we're going to see him abandoned, and we're going to see him not be supported by his disciples, the ones that you would expect that would be very proficient at supporting him in his greatest time of need, but they failed. And, and those are lessons that we need to learn as well related to our faithfulness. But Jesus is being betrayed and He's being abandoned. And one of the things we need to remember is that Jesus is our high priest. He knows all about what it means to go through the things that we go through and beyond. So it's so fitting and appropriate for us to look at His life and to study His life and to see how everything he went through, he went through not just because he wanted to experience it or whatever, but and he already knew everything because he's, om- he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. But he wanted us to see that he went through it so that we could know that he um, is a faithful high priest. Hold your place here. I want you to turn over to Hebrews. We're going to look at a few scriptures in Hebrews to your right there. Just before James, I believe. Hebrews. Sometimes that's the name of Christian coffee shops. It's true. And you can not like it all you want. I didn't come up with it. They're the ones that name this these stuff, these names, but that is the name of many coffee shops. In uh, you don't even call them coffee shops anymore. That's how dated I am. Um, but uh, Hebrews, yeah. They did that. They really do that. Okay. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 17, I want to read. Verse 17, Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, in all things He had to be made like His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation means full payment. To make full payment for the people. Now look over a couple chapters to Hebrews chapter 4. Hopefully it doesn't take you too long to find Hebrews 4. Never know. Might need a tab for that. Uh, Probably not. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4. I want to begin reading in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a high, great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in, to help in time of need. Now you can turn back to Mark. 
Jesus is our high priest. He's experienced everything and beyond what we experience. He doesn't know what it's like to be convicted of sin. So that is something he doesn't know experientially what that's like because he never sinned. He doesn't know what it's like to repent. He doesn't know what it's like. There's a lot of things about God because of who he is. He doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't forget things. He doesn't, he doesn't learn. He doesn't, there's, you know, there's a lot of things. He's never apologized. Uh, there's a lot of things that we get to see how God is, but there's one of the, one thing that related to the Lord Jesus that we need to understand is that He is our faithful high priest and He knows what it's like to go through everything that we go through. And we're going to see here in these verses that He went through some horrible, horrible things. So we start in verse 32. It says, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and He said to His disciples, Sit here while I pray. And He took Peter, James, and John with Him. Those are the inner circle guys. And began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Now Gethsemane means oil press. And it was olive oil uh, that they pressed there. And there was olive trees there. In fact, today there's an olive tree there that dates back almost around the time of Christ. That's how long they, they lived. Some people believe it was there in the time of Christ. But we don't know that. But, but it's an appropriate place for all of this to happen because Jesus is going to be pressed. And he's going to have pressure applied to him related to what he was going through and all of that. And so he says to these disciples. He wants to leave the eight behind. He takes Peter, James, and John. He doesn't need all 11 of them. Judas had already left to betray him. He doesn't need the rest of the 11. He just needs those three guys to go with him. And it says, we're told, that he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Troubled. What's that mean? Troubled means to have, knowing that something's coming and you're upset by it. That you have anxiety related to it. You're concerned about it. And then what's interesting about this word distressed is it literally means that he began to feel away from home or displaced or out of place. You ever feel out of place? There are many times in life where we feel out of place. We don't feel comfortable and all of that. And he had felt very much at home in the sense that he had this relationship with the Father on earth as he communed with him. And, and he said, I, do, I always do those things that please the Father. And he had that, that closeness with him, that intimacy with him. But he started to become deeply distressed or feel out of place. And it has to do with this cup that he's going to talk about in a moment. He's just finished talking about the cup of forgiveness, talking about the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. He's, he transformed those cups that were in the Seder there that, or the, um, the, the Passover, that those changed, the significance changed to now the, the, that cup represents the covenant of his blood, the new covenant that, that he was establishing at that time. But he's going to be praying now related to another cup that he doesn't want that he wants that cup to pass from him. And every Jew would know exactly what he's talking about related to the cup. He's talking about the cup of God's wrath. You can read about it in Psalm 75, verse 10, in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 17, and in Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 12, where it talks about the cup of the wrath of God. See, that's what was going to happen on that cross. That's what was coming, was God's wrath. He was going to be on that cross and all of the wrath, the cumulative or total amount of wrath that humankind deserved for all of their sins, past, present, and future sins, all of that wrath was going to be placed um, on the Son. And He knows that's what's happening. It's not this, the physical suffering He is obviously concerned about. He's human. He doesn't want to go through pain. God didn't you know, keep him from having a nervous system and being able to feel the pain of all, and on all those things. That was part of the wrath. If he didn't feel that, then it wouldn't be appropriate for paying for what we deserved. And so he's thinking of that spiritual wrath or that spiritual load of the whole sin of the world, of all every human that has ever sinned, even sins that we haven't even committed yet, even people that haven't been born yet that haven't had a chance to sin. All those things were going to be placed on him and that communion with, with, with the Father was going to be interrupted. So he's, he's being very, he's very distressed. He feels away from home. It's very unfamiliar terrain for him. And so if you have ever felt, or if I have ever felt out of place, troubled, and not at home, and in a place where we know something's going to happen that 
where we don't want to happen, he knows what that's like. Far beyond anything we could ever uh, come across. Your high priest, my high priest, knows exactly what that means, to, especially as Christians, because this is not our home. We're just a passing through. And we're pilgrims. Our citizenship is in heaven. And there are times where we get persecuted, and especially in the future as persecution is going to get ramped up, we're going to feel more and more out of place. We're going to feel more and more at the mercy of, of, at the mercy of sinners and from a practical standpoint and what we could suffer and what we're about to go through. Our high priest understands about that, all about that. Verse 34, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. His soul was exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Now, Luke tells us, and we'll get there when we get to the Gospel of Luke, that there were, there were drops of blood, as it were, that dripped from his forehead. And, of course, people have tried to validate this and tried to see if it could be physically possible. And it, it is physically possible. It can happen. You can be under that type of stress where you have blood coming out of your forehead. He didn't need to have the rest of humanity be able to have to have that done. He could have just had that done just because who he is. But um, that's what happened. He was under that much kind of strain where blood came from his forehead. His soul was exceedingly sorrowful even to death. You ever felt so sorrowful like you're going to die or you wish you could die? God knows all about that. God went through it. Jesus went through it. And obviously, the level that He felt is nothing compared to anything that we can feel because we could never even think about it's not even possible for us to be able to take the cup of wrath that He was going to take and so forth. But still, no matter how far and how sorrowful we could ever be, He understands he understands. You could say that Jesus was extremely depressed right here. That's what's exceedingly sorrowful even to death. That's, I mean, exceedingly sorrowful is a description of depression. And sometimes we think that, well, if we're not being, you know, that we could never be a Christian and be de depressed at the same time as totally false. There are times where we are depressed. We are sorrowful. We are down. Now, God has all the the resources and the perspective and his word and prayer and all of all of that to help us out of that and some of it is chemically based and and we know that but but that, that is not always the case one way or the other whether it's chemical or just circumstances or a composite uh, of, of both of those things but the point is God has is mercy for it. He understands what we go through. He understands. He has empathy. He doesn't. He's. We don't have a conditional relationship with our God. No matter what we go through, He is there and He is faithful for us. And as a high priest, He can relate to our struggles, even if we're exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. He's so faithful, isn't He, to be our faithful high priest? Now He tells the three to stay there and to watch. And that means to pay attention and pray, to be, to be attentive to what's going on, to be alert and to pray and to be there, but not just for their sake. Of course, he, he knows that it's for their sake. He's going to get into that in a moment. But I believe the human part of Jesus, he wanted to be supported we all want to be supported at times. We all need support at times. He loved those disciples. He had a relationship with those disciples. He loved them so much. And in that time of weakness, in that time of need, he wanted them there with him to be praying. And they didn't do it because they kept falling asleep. And that is sad. I know that they regretted this. I mean, we can beat up on them. We'd probably be sleeping too. <laughs> you know, I can sleep with the best of them, trust me. Uh, especially when it comes to prayer. You know, it's easy. You're like, man, I can't fall asleep for anything. And then start praying and you fall asleep. It's like better than anything you could ever take. So we have to be careful related to that. But, you know, we want to beat up on them. But the, the reality is we could have been falling asleep as well. And I know that they look back on this and said, man, I wish I could have been there for him. I wish I could have stayed faithful to him and stayed awake and just and prayed for my Savior. You know they all looked back on this and regretted it. And so that's important, though, that he was not supported like he should have been. You ever felt not supported? Maybe you're here this morning. You don't feel supported. 
That's what our family here is for. If you don't have that anywhere else, you can have that here. That's how God intends for us to support one another when we're going through difficulty, when we're down. We don't want to kick people when they're down, even if they're, there's a lot of fault going on. We want to help them. We want to be paramedics. You know, Sometimes Christians can act, myself included. We all have this tendency at times. We can act like spiritual attorneys and spiritual cops Instead, as, and as wonderful as cops are and attorneys are, God bless you if you're here today and you're a cop or an attorney. But a lot of times we, we come to people and we're, we're more like that instead of being a spiritual paramedic. We need to be there for people. And so if you're here today, you feel alone, you don't feel supported, Jesus knows what it feels like to not be supported in a time of need. And He wants to use His body to be able to help you in your time of need. We all need to be sensitive to each other's needs and pray for them. Then he hits the ground and asks that this hour, that hour, the hour, singular, the hour, if it's possible, could pass from him. If there's another way, he wants it to happen. He wants it to happen only if it's the last resort. And look what he said in verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. And he starts with that word, Abba. Aramaic for daddy. You go to Israel today, it's so cute. You're walking around trying to find a falafel or whatever, you know. And hey, those are good. Trust me. You know what you do when you travel? You eat way too much. I don't know why. It's like you pretend like you're going to die or something, and I got to find something to eat. Like, you've had four corn dogs, Pat. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, they don't have corn dogs there. Maybe they do, but I don't know if that'd be kosher. Definitely wouldn't be healthy. But so anyway, you're walking around. Where am I now? Where I got to get back on track. So if you're you're walking around and you hear see these little kids running around, they're chasing after their dad. And they're going abba 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 abba, and they're jumping up and down, talking to him. You know, I'm like, oh, that's so cute. You know that they're saying that, and that that's that's what they're saying. It's the most intimate thing that they could say. And Jesus says it. He says, abba, daddy. He's approaching the Father here. It's not some formal thing. It's His Daddy. It's His Father. He's coming to Him as the Son. It's unimaginable what He went through in approaching His Daddy, His Father, and asking that this, can this please not happen? If there's any other way, could, is, there, is there, I mean, He's sincere in asking this. He's asking as a son. He's asking that the cup of wrath be taken away. He, he says it respectfully. He, he, in, in honor, he says, you can do all things. He's being respectful, of course. But then he peaceably, beautifully, and, and, and just beautifully surrenders, saying that, you know, not my will, but your will be done. And he surrenders to that. And, and the writer of the book of Hebrews captures this in a way that it's, it, you can't really see in some places except how vividly he lays it out, the, the writer there. I know I just, we just came from Hebrews, and I could have told you to keep your thumb there, but I, may, I messed up on that. Please forgive me. But if you can hold your place where you're at, turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. Use your tabs if you need to. No shame in tabs. No shame. Use your table of contents. No shame. Hebrews chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse 7. Hebrews 5, verse 7. Who in the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplications and vehement cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death and was heard because of His godly fear. How was Jesus heard? He still had to go through the cross. He was saying, if this cup pass, would, if it can pass, let it pass. Not why my will, but your will be done. His will was done. God, God heard him. His will was done. And he didn't deliver him out of, or from death. He delivered him out of death and he was resurrected. But we see his heart here, vehement cries and tears. He was able to save him from death, but was heard because of his godly fear, his reverence. This was still very, 
uh, he had very a reverent heart towards the Father, expressing all these things. And God heard him and answered that prayer of not my will, but your will be done and delivered him from death uh, through the resurrection. Now let's turn back to uh, Mark chapter 14. So in light of that, when we cry up and we are lifting these things and crying with tears and all of that, God's compassionate. And He loves to hear our cry. He loves to hear our, our plea when we're in deep need. He always hears. Sometimes we hear people say, it's like my prayers hit the ceiling. It may feel like that. But remember, He lives inside of us. Your prayers don't even have to leave your room. It's right inside of you. He lives inside of us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't matter, and we need to train ourselves to, to not rely on our emotions, but rely on what His Word says, and His Word says that He's inside of us, and He hears us, and, and he, when we pray, it makes a difference. And when we enter boldly into the throne, uh, before the throne of grace, He hears, and, and we obtain mercy. That's what we read earlier. We obtain, not could obtain mercy, will obtain mercy in our time of need. Maybe you're struggling with something profoundly here today. He hears your cry. He hears your prayer. He, it, it matters to Him. As if you're the only person on earth. He hears and it matters to Him and He cares. He is your high priest. Verse 37. Then He came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Simon. <laughs> oh, that guy's a lot like us, isn't he? Here's the guy that said he would die for him just a few hours ago, and now he can't even stay awake for him. And again, it's the same way. We have great intentions and great plans and great things that we're going to do and things that we promise to God in our own strength and all of that. And God says, you're not going to do any of that unless I'm the one that's doing the work. And, and here Peter is, and, and he, he knew that he looked back on this and he wished he was faithful and prayed for him and stayed awake the whole time. How many nights had he been up after this being fully awake, thinking about how he could have just been awake just like he was at that time, but back then being faithful and supporting Jesus in his greatest time of need up to that point. Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned. He knows what it's like to not be supported. He knows. And so we need to be weeping with those who weep, and we need to make sure that everybody is not abandoned and everybody feels supported and all of that. That's why we're a family here. Now he gets to their benefit of praying in verse 38. He says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That is so true. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Someday, those of us that know Christ are going to have a body that is just as willing as our spirit. It's true. We're going to have a body that's just as willing as our spirit. They're not going to be, they're going to be completely molded into one, and we're going to be able to do with our bodies. We're not going to have a sinful nature anymore, and we're going to do it with our bodies what our spirit wants to do all the time and be able to fulfill that. He's going to give us a body made for heaven that will be able to withstand seeing him and being in his presence and be able to live the life that fully pleases him 100% so that we'll be able to say, just as Jesus said, I always do that which pleases the Father. We would love to say that right now. But we can't. But someday we'll be able to say that to him. And he'll be more blessed than we are by us being able to do it. So he, now, why is he talking about temptation now? He's, he's dealing with what he's dealing with, but now he's talking to the disciples about temptation because they're, gonna, they're about to be scattered. They're about to go all over the place. And there's going to be all kinds of spiritual warfare going on. There's going to be all kinds of temptations. There's going to be all kinds of, of, of opportunities to do the wrong thing, to react the wrong way, to say the wrong thing, all those things. I don't know what would have happened if, if, if Peter would have been awake praying this whole time. You know, I mean, I know Jesus knows the future and said that you're going to deny me and all of that, but, you know, I don't know. I just know that we're supposed to be in prayer when we're in times of great temptation and times of where we're vulnerable. We need to understand when we're vulnerable. 
When, when, you know, a lot of times they say, have you eaten? Have you slept? And I forget what the other thing is, but you know, watch those things. In those times, you're going to be extra weak or whatever. We have to know our vulnerabilities, know our trigger points, know when we are more, where it's easier for us to, to do the wrong thing and to be in prayer, to be in prayer uh, without ceasing. So he tells them to be careful. At one point, we'll see in another gospel that Jesus tells Peter, Satan has asked you by name, Peter, to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you return, strengthen your brethren. And that, that's what happened. And Jesus, as our high priest, again, this common theme of him knowing what we go through and having compassion with, with what we go through and having the answer to what we are going through, he knows that he is praying for us all the time. Someone is always praying for us. That's the Lord Jesus. Because he's God, he can pray for everybody all the time at the same time and do it flawlessly. Amen. He is praying for and interceding for you right now. Maybe you feel at times no one's praying for you. Someone is praying for you. Your high priest is praying for you. And as we grow as a fellowship, as a family, we're going to grow in our faithfulness to pray for you as well. And you'll be faithful, growing in faithfulness to pray for everybody else. So it's beautiful. Prayer is so critical. Verse 39, again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. What same words? That this cup of wrath would pass from him. And he's, he's asked this repeatedly, and there's silence related to it, which tells us there is no other way to heaven. I guarantee you the father that said multiple times, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, if there was any other way, would not allow his son to go through what he was about to go through, even what he had already gone through up to this point, unless it was absolutely necessary. Don't ever be afraid to say that Jesus is the only way. Jesus went through a lot to be able to accomplish that. Be bold. Because, you know, the requirement for heaven is not whatever we want to believe, and it's okay. It's righteousness. And the only one that can provide us righteousness because God is holy is the Lord Jesus' sacrifice. There is no other way to heaven apart from that sacrifice being applied to my account and having my, my spirit be made alive by the Holy Spirit coming and regenerating me and making me connected with God again that He desired because we're born separated from Him. It's very important that we understand that. There is no other way. Don't get, be bullied into being quiet at one point, Peter said in front of the religious leaders, he said, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus or no one. And that message is going to get, wor get more, we're going to have more pressure to cave on that. That's why in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, they couldn't, you can't mess that up with translations. It's like too direct. He made sure that that wasn't going to be missed. There is no other way. He, Jesus asked with great drops of blood coming from his forehead and calling him daddy and saying if there's any other way, not just once but multiple times, if there's any other way, I'm telling you, if there's any other way it could have happened, it would have happened that way. He loved his son. And so for us, it cheapens that in a sense when we don't, we're not bold in to say Jesus is the only way. He's the only way that you can go to heaven. Don't ever be afraid to be bold with that. We don't need to be obnoxious or tactless. I'm not talking about that. But be bold for that. There's only one way to heaven. Either Jesus lied or they're lying. Then I asked, I tell people all that. So I, should I believe you on many ways to heaven or should I believe Jesus? You tell me. What should I believe? Which one? Which one's more credible? Which one fulfilled prophecy? Which one did miracles and taught amazingly? Which one predicted his death, died and rose from the dead the third day and ascended to heaven and is coming back? You or, or, or the Lord Jesus? Well, I don't, we don't know that the, the, that was really written. you know. Oh yeah, so the disciples gave their lives saying that Jesus rose from the dead all because they made it up when they got no riches or they got no, nothing in return and they, they, then they sealed their testimony with their own blood and all of that is false. And I'm going to believe your theory? You need to go back and watch your sitcom. I got other things to do. I got, <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous how insane it is. People believe in UFOs and 
all these crazy things, but, but to talk about Jesus and then he rose from the dead and all of that, oh no, that's crazy. I could never believe that. But yeah, I'll believe that nothing plus nothing plus chance and time equaled all this design. That's logical. That's rational. Yeah, give me a break. It's ridiculous. I'm about to preach now. Okay. <laughs> Verse 40. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know how to ans- what to answer him. <laughs> Have you ever had that? Your eyes are heavy? It's like <laughs> sandbags. Someone put sandbags on your eyes, and you're trying so hard to stay awake and everything, and you're caught, and then you don't know what to answer. And that's good. You don't know what to say. Just be quiet. You're busted, disgusted, and cannot be trusted, as we used to say when we were kids. And you got busted, and they just say nothing. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. Because it was dark and all of that, so they, they couldn't recognize. And not like they never saw his face before, but it was dark there. Verse 45, As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Let me read you out of Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. And if not, refrain. So they weighed out for me wages, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Fulfilled prophecy right here. The actual act of betraying him, following through with it, and he is betrayed. Now, don't minimize the pain that Jesus went through, even knowing that he was going to do this all along. Because remember, you, you can't turn love off. Jesus is love. God is love. He loved Judas. And, and he had affection towards him. He, he cared for him. He was faithful to him all the way through his life. Even though he knew he was going to betray him, he, and he's so faithful to us even though we betray him or let him down and sin, he's still so gracious with us. And so you can't turn love off. And he, it has hurt him. And another thing he says, another gospel, he says, are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Because that was such an intimate expression of love. And then we're told in verse 46, then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew a sword and struck the servant of the, of the high priest and cut off his ear. And it, you know, Peter's the one that influenced Mark. This is probably Peter's whole account of, of what happened in the, you know, in the Gospels. This is, we went over this at the beginning. So Mark uh, doesn't mention that it was him. Other Gospels mention it was him. He doesn't happen to volunteer that uh, to Mark uh, to write down. One who stood by drew his sword. Now in John, we're told that they came to him and said, and Jesus said, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And the he is not there in the Greek. It's in italics in your Bible. He said, I am I am, just like in Exodus 3.14. I am that I am. And they drew back and fell to the ground. Now we're told there's, this were a large multitude of, of soldiers here. We're talking in the hundreds. Some people even say as much as 600 to go get a rabbi. That makes a lot of sense, right? And so that happened. We're, we're not seeing it in our account here, but that happened. And so that's likely why Peter gets all pumped up. Like Jesus says, I am, and they all fell back and it's like, oh, it's on. You know, it's like, let's go. And you know, and how great is a is a swordsman? I mean, just earlier, Jesus said, Yeah, you can go get a sword. And so Peter goes out in between that time and this time, goes to some sword shop or gets a sword or whatever, and he's he's packing now, and he sees everybody fall back and ching, you know, and, and then you know, he's a fisherman. Come on. How good of a, a, a aim is he? He cuts off um, the ear of the servant of the high priest. His name was Malchus, we're, we're told. And so he, <laughs> then in, in verse 48, then Jesus answered and said to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Now look at the next verse. 
Then they all forsook him and fled. It had been weaning down. He had said some hard things. At one point, he said in the middle of his ministry, he said, to eat, you know, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood and all of that. And said, after that, many of the disciples left him. And he said to the disciples, Are you going to forsake me too? Are you, are you going to still follow me? And Peter said, You know, where else are we to go? And so they had been whittled down, whittled down, whittled down, disciples leaving and all of that. And it finally gets to all of them and they all forsook him. They all forsook him. And you know what's worse? Is that the Father's going to forsake him too. It's not going to stop. On that cross, the Father's going to forsake him. Jesus knows what it's like to not be supported. He knows what it's like to be betrayed, to be hurt like that. And now he knows how to be completely forsaken by those that are closest to him. You know, in the beginning of the Gospel of John, he says he came to his own, meaning the Jewish people, but his, they received him not. At, before all of this, he wept over the city. We'll see that in another place. And he said, how long have I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not believe. He loved them. And that rejection hurt his heart. He didn't insulate himself from the pain of being rejected because he's our high priest. So if you've been abandoned, completely abandoned in your life, your whole family, your friends, people rejected you, maybe because becoming a Christian or even way before that, Jesus knows all about what it's like to be abandoned, to be rejected, to be not supported, and all of that, even by the closest of his people that he loved. And ultimately, it will culminate on that cross when he will fulfill Scripture from Psalm 22. And he'll say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And when that happens, he'll be the only human, and I know he's more than human, of course, but he'll be the only human that have ever experienced a situation where they can't even cry out to God, that, that the Father has forsaken him, and Because any person in this world can call out to God and God hasn't forsaken them. They can begin a relationship with, with God. They, they, or if they already know God, they can call out to Him. He's the only human that, that, was, that was not there for that moment in time where even the Father was not available. All through history, the Father's been available for every human. But at that moment, the Father was not available because He had to turn His face away because the sin of the world was being placed on the Lord Jesus. Our sin oh, smelts our hearts. Now look at verse 51. Now a certain young man followed him. Now I want to pause there because most people believe that this is Mark. Mark's very young at this point. It's, it's believed, a common uh, belief is that his, his house was the house where they went to the upper room. That was the upper room. Um, and so it's possible that Judas went there first because how was Mark here? Mark wasn't part of the 12. Or this young man, whoever he was, wasn't part of this this group originally, but if they Judas went to the upper room house, or or maybe it wasn't even the upper room house, but it was Mark's house that they commonly went to, that he checked there first, and then Mark saw that and followed the rest of these hundreds of soldiers to where the Lord Jesus was in, at the Garden of Gethsemane. And so this is likely Mark himself, and we're told having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body because you would leave in haste because you were leaving right away. It would be, he would find out about this and just grab something and put it around him because he wants to go and see what's going to happen. And the, young man laid hold, uh, and the young man laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. So they tried to get a hold of him. They grabbed what he was wearing. They, they held on to that. He took off naked and, and, and left. And it's the only place in the Gospels where it's mentioned. So it's likely John Mark himself. Verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. Now, this was at night, and this was illegal for many reasons, and we'll get into that when we get into other Gospels. But meeting at night, for sure, was not, was not allowed. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. It's been said that when we try to follow Jesus at a distance, we always end up warming ourselves at the fire of the, en the, fire, the enemy's fire. You know, because the, we're not supposed to be following from a distance in the sense of our lives. We're supposed to be following closely with him. But this is physical, of course, and he's following. He's trying to stay close there with not 
uh, risking too much danger there because they all had death sentences over their heads. I mean, they all, they all could be um, killed, and they all knew that. That's why they fled. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found no one. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Now that's not what he said. In John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, he says, destroy this temple. He didn't say, I will destroy it. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And it says that he was referring to his body. Verse 59. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Now, I wish that high priest wouldn't fly him backwards at that moment. That would have been great, but that wasn't part of the plan, of course. But he said the same thing, just wish that he would have been flying, and everybody in that room flying backwards. Anyway, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Clearly messianic. Verse 63, Then the high priest tore his clothes, which in Leviticus the law forbids him to tear his clothes, but he did it anyway, and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. And when it says the officers struck, the tense there is continuously struck. They continuously struck him with the palms of their hands and saying, and you know, he knew everybody that was hitting him. He knows, he knows today who was hitting him. And he was holding all things together by the word of his power, we're told in Scripture. He holds, he's the atomic glue, so to speak, where we don't know why, why these charges in the atom hold together. That makes no sense. He's holding everything together. He was holding together the, the, the pans. He was holding together the crown of thorns. He's, he's holding together everything, the nails, the cross. He's holding together their vocal cords that, that reviled him. Jesus is holding it all together because of his love for us. Amen. To accomplish that for us, he did it all. And he chose to do it willingly. No one took his life from him, but he laid it down. And if he laid it down, he could take it up again. Verse 66. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and the rooster crowed. Verse 69. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by again stood by said to Peter again, Surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. It'd be like someone from the South. And I don't mean Tulare or L.A. Um, I'm talking about like Georgia or somewhere coming and you know saying that they're from here. And you're like, what part of y'all is from here? You know, we don't use y'all as much. You know, we, we're getting to say bless your heart a little bit, but um, that's mostly from you know, watching things from people from other parts of the country in the South where they say, oh, bless their heart. And it's not always a good thing when they say that. Sometimes it is. We're learning that, you know. But it's the Galilee was in the North. They had a whole different accent up there. So he's talking to them, and they can totally see that he's not from around these parts, you know. And, and he, he was from Galilee, you could tell. So he's saying you're so ridiculous in saying this. It's obvious that you're not, that you're not from here. It's amazing how he gets caught in his self-dependence. Verse 71, And he began to curse and swear to try to prove that he's not one of his disciples. They knew that his disciples wouldn't be doing this. So he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Now Luke tells us when the rooster crows, 
that he turned and they locked eyes. Jesus and Peter locked eyes. And can you imagine the look? What would you imagine the look be from Jesus to Peter? Would it be a, a, a look of hatred? Would it be a look of anger? Would it be a look of compassion? It would be, I believe it, it was a look of being hurt, but also full of grace and love there. And Peter looked at him eye to eye and he went out and whipped, wept bitterly, we're told. And so, but, G, but Peter repented. Judas didn't. And, and, but Jesus prayed and told Peter, when you return, see, that was God's grace to tell Peter, when you return, strengthen your brethren. He gives him more grace at the end before he, he ascends to heaven when he says, when you're old, someone's going to stretch out your hands where you don't want to go and, and lead you where you don't want to go, talking about his death, referring to the manner in which he would die, which would be crucified upside down, history records. That was God's grace to Peter because it told him, when you are old, not today, not next week, not a few months from now, not a few years from now, when you're old, this is going to happen. It gave him some needed information to run hard and to be greatly yielded and used by God all the way up to the end and, and to know that he's going to honor him by dying in a way that would bring him glory. And that was another expression of God's grace extended to Peter. Has anyone ever denied knowing you? Jesus knows how you feel. Whether you've been abandoned, whether you've been forsaken, whether you haven't been supported, whether someone denies you, Jesus knows all about that, knows how that feels. And he has empathy for you. Maybe we've never experienced some of those things yet, but we will. The Holy Spirit wants this to be tucked into our hearts to remember all of these things so when that happens, we can know we have a high priest that empathizes with us and he wants us to come boldly into the throne room of grace where he is praying for us and obtain mercy in our time of need. It's amazing what he did for us, isn't it? It's amazing that he did it freely without being manipulated, without being forced upon him. He obeyed the Father. There was no other way. And he honored the Father by doing what only he could do for us. And we get to benefit from all eternity. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing grace that you accomplished through the Lord Jesus. We're so grateful, Jesus, for what you've done for us. We ask, Lord, that you would use these verses to heal, to bring perspective to help us for future times when we need to think about what you went through on our behalf. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for saving us. Thank you for making us into the people you want us to be. We want to grow. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.